If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. You put kids in situations in virtual reality that they normally wouldn't be able to experience in a normal school environment, and suddenly they learn a skill in VR that's then transferable to the physical world itself. It really is magic. How might you use your imagination to create new ways of engaging students in learning through virtual reality? That's the opportunity in which Jake Ritchell is involved right now. Jake is both an educational technology specialist and a teacher on special assignment at Dixon Unified School District in Northern California. And he's working with a group of innovators who are doing something exciting, finding new and creative ways to implement virtual reality into the district's curriculum. Jake, before we get to talking about something very exciting that you're doing with virtual reality in the classroom, I'd love to know a little bit more about your background. It says on LinkedIn that you were a history and I believe a psychology double major. How'd you first become aware of the power of immersive technology to bring concepts to life? Yeah, so I guess it kind of started in the pandemic. You know, I think a lot of us were shut in searching for things to do, you know, while indoors. And I'm just you know, kind of during the heart of the pandemic and the lockdowns and stuff, I started getting more into virtual reality. And I'm a big fan of Reddit. So I'm on, you know, tapped into a whole bunch of different communities and VR popped on my feed. I experienced VR maybe a handful of times over the years. I think the most recent of which was in 2018, 2019 in a Target actually in San Francisco. And it was like a shopping experience in VR, like in a virtual target. And at the time, I actually did not like it. It was kind of overwhelming for me. I felt headachey. I, I really didn't enjoy it. So I put VR away, you know, fast forward to the pandemic and VR kind of pops back on my feed. The Quest 2 launches. And I'm like, okay, wow, it's only $2.99. Let me go ahead and buy one. I bought one, absolutely fell in love. It changed my sense of reality, be it virtual or not. <laughs> what did you so, really love for an application after you bought that quest too? What really hooked you? I think, I mean, the the first, the introduction app, first steps on Quest 2 really changed my perspective. There's some level where it's magic. It's like, it's like going to Disneyland for the first time as a kid, you know, it really is magic. You know, there's a full 360 panorama in the beginning and, you know, it's like a virtual, it's like an avatar like world kind of like pops up around you. And then you're taken through a training simulation where you have virtual hands and you pick up objects and you can, you know, fly like a inflatable balloon and you can, you know, throw objects. I think even play basketball or something in the sim, but the sense that I can like actually manipulate things around me, you know, it's like, okay, and this isn't clunky, like this works quite well lit up my brain and especially my educator brain because it's just made me instantly think wow instant manipulatives at my disposal for math instruction science labs are imminent that can be possible in a virtual world and all sorts of possibilities so magic is such a great way to describe vr i think 
you're doing something with virtual reality. I haven't heard people mention that much in applications. Science I've seen, math I've seen, but you talked about literature with a Unity presentation recently. What are some of the ways that you are using virtual reality to interest students in literature? So I guess to kind of zoom out, I work in Dixon Unified School District, which is a rural public school district outside of Sacramento. And a couple years back, this was fall, I think fall 21, I wrote a grant to a company called Genentech, and they're a pretty big biotech company in this area. And they issued us some funding to get started with VR in a classroom. So that spurred, I often like to do things as a committee. So I was like, okay, let's, I don't know how VR is going to fully be used in classrooms and school and stuff like that. So we assembled a team of a whole bunch of different educators from different backgrounds. So English, social science, animal sciences, elementary science classrooms, and beyond college and career classes, art classes, and basically, you know, told our educators, find different use cases for VR, like go out and just think about your discipline, go out and try to figure out how could VR work for you in a classroom. And that's really what our team of educators did. So they went out and they found different use cases for us to kind of pilot, trial, push into classrooms and use VR. So kind of getting back to your question, we actually haven't specifically used VR tied to a novel yet within a classroom setting, but we have done a whole bunch of different stuff. So an example, seventh grade world history, kids learn about like medieval Europe, right? It's one of the units of instruction in California history. And to kind of tie into, you know, there's like a standard that's like related to the technological innovations of medieval Europe and stuff like that. So kind of going with that standard, one of our educators found a whole like medieval archery application. And it's it's really cute. It has like a Ren Faire kind of theme to it and immerses kids in like a, a Ren Faire setting with like all this great music and stuff. And kids actually, you know, it's like, here's a bow and arrow. Here's kind of how it works, the mechanics of it, the tech that was kind of designed and used in this time and has kids you know, just practice basic archery on pumpkins and kind of stuff like this. But it's really cool. It's my general approach is get people together, bring in the experts in their own content area, and then try to create a place for them to discover use cases that are valuable to them. And that's how education works a lot of the time. I love the archery idea. Yeah. You know, anybody listening right now that's an educator might be saying, what is this program? I would love to find it. Yeah. Do you have the name of that app by chance? I do indeed. Yeah, I have. Let me go ahead and pull it up real quick. So this is on the App Lab. This is called, it was called Arrowhead Medieval Archery VR is the name of it. Arrowhead Medieval Archery VR. Yep. What age kids are we talking about here? What age is it safe for them to use virtual reality in the headset? And are you sometimes using desktop as well? Yeah. So that's a really great question. So basically I go with whatever the kind of manufacturer says. So like, let's, let's talk about the Quest 2 headset. So students under 13 are not allowed to use those headsets. So we do not put kids that are under 13 in Quest 2 headsets. However, during our pilot with our grant money, there's another provider known as Class VR, and they're an English company and they allow students even in elementary school to get into VR with their units and their headsets and their content. So we've gone down to as low as fourth grade. 
in our school district? You know, this is a really great question because, you know, even through Class VR, I have heard of, they said that they've had schools that have gone down to as low as like first and second grade, putting kids in a virtual environment. And, you know, they reference some sense of literature that shows that it is safe in those primary grades. We have expressed a little more caution to wait and really focus on if we do go into elementary, the upper grades, just because it's, you know, kids are, there's a lot of unknowns with VR. So what I always say for people getting into this space in education is the starting place is really like, what are the rules the manufacturer has in place? And then talk internally, talk with your colleagues, your educators, your site administrators, your district administrators to kind of come to a consensus, your nurses as well. You know, we talked with our district nursing staff as well to come to a sense of, you know, what's best for your context, what's best for your students and your community. Yeah. And in fact, that's a great disclaimer right there, which I should add the disclaimer that I'm not a medical professional. And I know that you're an educational professional, but you may not be a doctor. So please, if anybody has any questions about this, check with, just as you just said, a nurse, a medical professional, anybody. This is not medical advice. Exactly. That is a great, yeah, that's a great disclaimer to have. Absolutely. I'd, I'd love to know some more about this pilot program. Where are you right now? And what are some really cool use cases that have come up? Yeah, so this is this is great. So I'm really trying to think through, you know, okay, I'm of the belief that VR is going to be huge in education, right? I really think it's going to be massive. Just as we have Chromebooks, one-to-one, where kids take a Chromebook to and from school every day, I really see a world where VR is just as essential, if not more. You know, it's just like the hardware, like maybe it'll become a little bit thinner, smaller, which, you know, be easier to have like, one-to-one take-home VR program, something like that. But okay, let me zoom back out. I really think the adoption cycle for VR is going to be similar to the adoption cycle for computers in education. So just as in the very beginning with computers, we had, you know, maybe a small set of computers in elementary classrooms, four or five or something like that for a station. Then it went to a centralized place on a campus where there was like 35 computers as like a lab, a teacher might reserve a lab, take their kids to the lab to do a whole lesson one-to-one. Then kind of the cycle went push in carts, sets of 35 computers going into classrooms, eventually to where we are now, which is really take home, one-to-one, back and forth, to and from school, school and home with devices. I think the cycle is going to be very similar. And I'm thinking about it in a very similar way. So as to where we are with our pilot program, What we did with our committee work is we pushed in to classrooms with a set of headsets. So it might have been anywhere from four to eight to 12 headsets at a time, pushing into classrooms and then carrying out, you know, a a learning activity to what we're doing now, which is we're actively building VR labs at our school sites. So at Dixon High School, it's going to be a dedicated double room. So, you know, One room that usually has 35 kids, there's a divider, and then another room that has 35 kids. I have a double room reserved. We're going to take the divider down, basically tape off six by six spaces. So then we can have a full lab of kids, you know, interacting with VR in a space where teachers can reserve and take their students to. So this is one part that I'm, I'd say I'm most excited about in our cycle, having a dedicated space at our comprehensive high school. Something that we have that is running right now, which is amazing. This is at our continuation high school, Main Prairie High School. And there's a class there that's college and career 
class to get kids ready for a post K-12 environment. In that classroom, we have contracted with a company called Transfer VR. So they use Quest 2 headsets and their curriculum is all about teaching kids job skills, basically. So putting on a hat, what it's like to work as an auto mechanic, what it's like to work in the healthcare industry, what it's like to get into manufacturing, what it's like to get into welding. And right now, actively, our students are using Transfer VR headsets in that college and career course to explore a whole variety of different careers. So then hopefully they have a semblance of you know what they maybe want to do after their post-K-12 environment. So that's a program that we are up and going right now that I'm crazy excited about. And it's a lot of fun to see. What's been one of the most exciting reactions you've seen in any of the students using this job training program? I, okay, so I talked to a student the other day and he is really into cars. He's really, really big into cars. And he did a automotive segment where he learned, you know, a couple different things you can do on a car. So they have all sorts of stuff like changing oil, changing brake pads, changing the suspension, all sorts of stuff. I disclaimer, I don't know anything about cars, right? But I kind of wanted to ask him like, okay, what's something you've learned within the last two weeks that's really excited you? And he told me, he said, Mr. Richel, I have, I learned how to check the compression on a piston, I believe is what he said. I learned how to check the compression on a piston. I said, okay, great, great. Okay, this is something that you learned, all right? And then I asked him, I was like, have you taken any of these skills you learned in VR and applied them to the real world? And he's like, yeah. So just like I was saying, I checked the compression on a piston and just, you know, a week ago or something, I actually checked the compression on my car, like the compression on the piston on my car. And this is exactly the scenario that I find so promising where you put kids in situations in virtual reality that they normally wouldn't be able to experience in a normal school environment. And suddenly they learn a skill in VR that's then transferable to the physical world itself, where they can go out and carry out that skill, maybe even get a job in that area. So that like that moment is just like a light bulb for me that this is cool, this is working, and it's promising for the future. It's exciting. What about the students who have more of an art slant, the ones who are the storytellers, the artists, the people that probably aren't going to change the pistons on their car? What would this offer them? So I we have at that same school, Main Prairie High School, there's there's an art teacher, a dedicated art teacher, and she was part of our committee. And we pushed in a handful of times, a handful of times in her classroom, and she carried out Google's Tilt Brush. Are you familiar with Google's Tilt Brush? Yeah, where you come in, you do the sculpting and the painting, and oh, a cool app. It's so, so cool. So she carried out a multi-day activity where kids were in Google's Tilt Brush in a virtual environment and she had them kind of i mean it it seemed fairly open-ended i think but she had them carry out a couple different techniques with different brushes because there's different size brushes but then also kind of you can in that environment you can kind of like create like a virtual you know landscape and world around you and stuff so they kind of carried that out and built a virtual environment around them so that was really exciting to see and i actually think if you think about like apps that are developed right now that are functional off the ground that you can run with Google's Tilt Brush seems really promising. There's been some other, we haven't, I haven't done this yet, but we have a ceramics class at our comprehensive high school. And there's, there's a couple of like pottery applications coming out now too. So 
and again, it gets back to my idea of like just instant manipulatives. Whereas sometimes the brass tacks is educators have limited budgets, department budgets with what materials they can buy. But then this just increases the volume of verticals. Like if you know they don't have enough clay or they don't have a kiln or something, they can teachers it empowers teachers to build more and have more resources at their disposal. On the subject of teacher empowerment, when you talk about the VR headsets being an analogy to what the computer was maybe 25 years ago, yeah. when the teacher is thinking, oh, I'm not technical, how do I get used to this? Nobody really likes to feel stupid, but a lot of us do when we first start to learn. What would you say to them? So I have experienced this very situation myself with a teacher that came to me and said, Jake, I am not good with computers. I, you know, that kind of thing. And what I say is in that situation, it actually makes me feel really excited because in this very situation, yeah, a teacher came to me and said, yeah, I'm generally not comfortable with computers, but just the act of someone kind of expressing that, hey, this is a subject of discomfort, it allows us to then react and provide support and help them kind of navigate a difficult emerging technology. And my instant take is that in the program implementation side, it's incumbent upon, I guess, people that sit in my chair, IT staff within school districts to really view themselves on some level as customer service, right? We, I have my job, IT staff has our job to support the sites and to support staff. So when I come across this situation, I make sure that I'm there step-by-step step, pushing into classrooms, helping our teachers kind of build confidence. And in using technology, new technology, it's all about just chunking things out step-by-step step by step by step by step to build confidence and to build awareness. And I guess in this example, this specific teacher, I guess the biggest takeaway for me is that, you know, in education, we, we try to think student-centered. How are we building experiences that focus on the students themselves? VR allows students to take a lot of ownership over their learning. So using VR in the classroom didn't necessarily like require this teacher to like be coding or like have like a super robust understanding of how VR fully works because I think VR just creates these experiences where the student can run with it themselves. We'd love to get every student doing this, but what is the biggest barrier for implementing the VR in every school? I would say it's friction. There's a lot of friction right now. So I've spent if we think about okay, I have a Chromebook right here. So Google Chromebooks are in every, pretty much every classroom now. And Microsoft for the longest time had netbooks in classrooms, but they, Microsoft like lost in education. Now Chromebooks are king. And the question is why? And it's because from the moment a Chromebook arrives at a school district to getting implemented, you know, getting hooked up to our domain, to rostering student accounts, to getting into student hands, it's very fast. The whole process is very fast and it's really quick for how quickly kids can open a computer, log in and start using it. And I would say with VR right now, there's a lot of friction in the process of locking down, managing the headsets, thinking about account management, thinking about getting VR content 
sent over to VR headsets, you know, for in-classroom use. And I think this is something that I would like a lot of companies to think about in the future. Just, you know, like be out there with a stopwatch, right? Like timer, how many seconds does it take to get a VR headset ready for classroom use? And as those seconds really shrink down and come down, that's going to be what sends it over the edge to get more VR headsets in classrooms and, and in students' hands. What can what you're doing right now at Dixon School District mean for anybody who is teaching or learning someplace that isn't Dixon School District? How can they learn from what you're doing and maybe implement it in their local area? I would say the very first step is to just get into a headset is the biggest thing. I think it makes a lot more sense that just the idea of VR and education with some basic understanding of VR. So I would encourage any educator out there really to just find a way to try VR. Like I think you can even go to a Best Buy, I think put on a headset for free, or I think they'll like let you do a demo, but just find an opportunity to try it for a first time. Because I think that helps make the synapses fire a little bit more for the possibilities. For someone that wants to try out VR I guess at the individual educator level, I would always recommend going to site administration and getting support there to make sure, hey, I have someone in my corner that can can help me with program implementation because that's always important. And then seek out online a lot of the opportunities that are available for VR. So an example is a company called InSpirit, I think. They do science curriculum in VR. If you go on their website, from what I've read, there's like free hardware pilot programs. So like if you implement a learning segment within Spirit, it sounds like they'll foot the bill for some VR headsets. This has been my experience as well with Unity. It's been my experience with um, a couple other providers where yes, there's a hardware gap, but there's also a lot of grant opportunities out there to explore. So that would be my general advice. Let's do a shameless plug. Where will you be speaking? Where can people follow you? And anything you would like to promote about your work? Yeah, I guess this is the stuff I'm actually not the best at, like networking and and all that kind of stuff. I guess if people want to follow my LinkedIn, that's something that they can do. Uh, To be honest with you, I got to figure out what my handle is because I'm not even sure what it is. Yeah, if people want to Follow me on LinkedIn. That's totally fine. That's where we can see some updates. So my name is Jake Richel. I can, I'll pull up my tag and put it in the chat here in a second. I would say too, we've had some social media posts in the past on Dixon Unified's Facebook page. So that's something that people can kind of check out. There's been some pictures and stuff there from a couple of different activities we've done. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be speaking at a conference here in Sacramento. And I think uh, a couple of people from Meta are going to try to have me speak here in a couple of weeks down at the headquarters, but I, I'm not sure if that's available for the public or anything, but yeah, it's just a couple of things I got going on. So. Is the Sacramento conference available to the public? I think it is, but I think it's, I think people do have to pay to attend. It's called the Educating for Careers Conference in Sacramento, and I'm going to be speaking on February 28th. So that's kind of in regards to the transfer VR program that we have going at Maine Prairie High School. Educating for a careers conference. Anyone yep. that has the time and the ability to go up there, this would be well worth hearing. Final question for my podcast usually is my signature question. If people could only get one thing from you about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you like them to take away from you? It's a really good question. 
I would probably say this. I read, uh, this is a couple of years ago, but Bob Iger, like the CEO of Disney a couple of years ago, he had like three different kind of main points for how he oriented the company and stuff. But this one point about technology that was kind of fundamental to Disney, and it's something I've really kind of carried with me. So he basically said that no matter what, it's always important to embrace new technology. It's always important to really try to have an open mind and embrace new tech as it happens. And he said something like, I don't know if it was quite this harsh, but he says something like, people that resist new technology are always doomed to be wrong or some, he had some aphorism like this. But I would just say, embrace new technology. There's going to be a lot of new stuff coming online here within the next couple of years. VR, AI, all sorts of stuff. And keep an open mind. Keep an open mind and embrace the new stuff as it comes along. That's my biggest point of advice, I would say. Jake, thank you for your time today. Of course. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Happy to be on. And yeah, thanks for your time too. You and I have been listening to Jake Richel, educational technology specialist and teacher on special assignment at Dixon Unified School District in Northern California. Jake is going to be speaking at the Educating for Careers Conference in Sacramento on February 28th. You can find out more at 2023.educatingforcareers.org. And if you'd like to know more about Dixon Unified School District's work with immersive technology, check out their Facebook page, which is Dixon USD. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.